when you have a challenge, a roadblock, something that happens that knocks you down, whether it's a relationship and you feel like everybody's watching you, it was a failure, or you've been at a place where you were a six-figure person and all of a sudden you're this educated woman and then you hit a rock bottom and you have no money. Whatever you define that as, how do we now shift how we look at that? And then taking that and saying, how do I now use this to reframe that experience and then start to really get wins in my life? Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wita L. Brown. I inspire and promote movement. I explain how running adds to life from a mental wholeness aspect, how obstacles can be overcome in life to make it to your finish line. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, episode 65. Today, I have another FAMU Rattler. We both attended Florida Agriculture and Mechanical University that sits in Tallahassee on the highest of seven hills. We've been friends for over 20 years. Lisa Tanker is the founder of So Beautifully Fit and lives and breathes spreading wellness education to help women improve their lives. So Beautifully Fit was birthed from Lisa's eight years in the pharmaceutical industry, 10 years of coaching clients as a founder of the boutique studio in Atlanta, Georgia, and as a former VP of sales at a wellness tech startup. Lisa's 20 plus years of healthcare and wellness experience has come full circle and allows her to truly understand the needs of women. As a woman who has walked in the same steps as many of her clients, Lisa has the ability to empower women to not only achieve weight loss, but tools in managing stress and making themselves a priority in their lives. Lisa has personally coached over 2,000 women. She has a passion and she has the experience to truly help them connect the dots to be the best version of themselves. Please welcome Lisa to the show. So thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Wita. So tell me, how did you get your start in the fitness industry? I know I've been knowing you for 20 years. I know you used to work out, but when did you start your fitness business? You know what? So fitness is really an evolution of where I started. When I, We went to school together. We went to Florida A&M. I was a healthcare management major. So it was all about healthcare and helping people be healthy. And I went into pharmaceutical sales from there. So the funny thing that you say, how did I get into fitness? When I was in pharmaceutical sales, two things happened. The first thing is I was talking to a doctor run one day, a rheumatologist. And I remember saying, how many of these patients would come to you if they got care ahead of time? because they just look real debilitated. And he said, you know what? If these people took care of themselves, they wouldn't need me. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I have no idea why I asked that in my 20s, but I it never left and it resonated. Well, fast forward about five years later being in pharmaceutical sales. So what drug did you sell when you were in sales? Levaquin, antibiotic. I sold Ultram. I sold Lidoderm, a pain patch. Okay. I sold, uh, what was the other pain medication? It was an opioid. I can't remember the other opioid that I sold, but it was like, it came out a little bit later um, through a company. So I sold a number of different things. I sold something for, you know, urinary incontinence, ditropan. So a lot of different medications. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. But as I digress, so essentially I gained weight. So I got on this whole journey, let me lose weight. And I started going to the gym. And at that time, like working out was not as popular as it is now. People did it, but it wasn't like you worked out to look like so aesthetically amazing. But that got me on my journey, having to lose the weight. And I noticed every time, then I start doing competitions. Every time I did a competition, my sales would increase. So I start finding like, not only was I feeling better and losing weight, but there was this big link between my productivity, how I did at work and losing weight. How did you get into competition and what attracted you to that aspect of fitness? So let me kind of backtrack and say I haven't done a competition in quite a long time. But 
it was no rhyme or reason. It was just more or less like I was working out. I looked good. I heard somebody saying, oh, somebody's doing a competition. They could win some money. I was very misled. I'm like, oh, you can win some money to do a competition? Sign me up. So that is literally how I, girl, the craziest thought I ever had, because that turned into a whole nother thing down my life. But that's how I started doing competitions. But I fell in love with it because I'm competitive. I love sports. I love being active. So I fell in love with uh, competitions from there for a while. So tell me about, I guess, the difference between just working out for fitness and working out for competition. Like, what was your regimen? I'm just curious because it seems like a strict regimen from the friends I've talked to who've done it. Okay, so let me throw this at you real quick before I share that. It sounds like a strict regimen. As a doctor, are you familiar with competitions? And any have you heard anybody say that it puts a strain on your body or it takes a toll on your body? No, I mean I've just heard some people like I listened to this podcast. There's a person who did in the past, and it stressed her out because, and it was more psychological because like they were commenting on all the aspects of her body and it was like nitpicky. So it, it caused her some problems because she already had anxiety her whole life about how she looked. But as far as fitness, no. I'll tell you this because you're a doctor. You, I'm really be surprised about this. There's a huge difference. And I didn't know at the time. The difference with traditional workouts is if you're just working out and hopefully you just have a goal, I want to lose weight. I want to stay active and it's paced. You know, you're still eating a certain amount of calories. You balance your life. That's the whole goal of just traditional workouts. When you take it to a competition level, put it in perspective. Today, I work out three to four times a week. That's it. No more than an hour. I'm good. I eat healthy. When I did competitions, I worked out six to seven times a week, Mm -hmm. twice a day, two to two and a half hours of that. And the calories were restricted to about a thousand calories. Wow. Okay. Not only do you do that, the regimen, you're still trying to work. You start to lose sleep. Once you start to take your body to that next level of like, okay, I got to keep working out. You're losing sleep at night at that point because you're just always on edge. So not only when you talk about the young lady who said it was psychological from getting on stage, it was beyond that. She was probably already in this anxiety mode. We are breaking our bodies down. And and we, as a matter of fact, I got severely sick and almost lost my life. Almost lost my life because of doing competitions. And the everyday stress of life. Absolutely. What happened? What Was it a cardiac thing? What was as far as your what was going on with your body, if you don't mind sharing? I started having respiratory issues. This was in about 2008 ish. I started having severe respiratory issues. The doctors could not figure out what was wrong with me. And it got to the point I went to the doctor for like a year and a half every probably every two to three weeks or maybe every four weeks, I'd have these respiratory issues. They start thinking she's just stressed out. So they couldn't pinpoint what was wrong because they tested my lungs, my heart, but I would always have to go to the ER, get oxygen, you know, get something. So the doctors really couldn't tell me what was wrong. I had every test done. Now, fast forward, being in the wellness field, I was talking to an integrated doctor who happens to have gone to school for pulmonology. Mm -hmm. And she and I just talked the past year and a half. And as we start talking, she was kind of breaking down two things. We have this stress threshold. So you know how sometimes you'll say somebody just got sick out the blue? Mm-hmm. It wasn't really out the blue. It was almost like this toxic level of stress buildup. And we all have things that show up differently. The only thing I can tell you is I had to kind of figure out, this is what I had to kind of deduce it to because I never got a real answer, is that between working all the time, being a single mom at one point, then being married, having all these responsibilities, working a corporate job, it was almost like my body just got to a breaking point. It was short for me in respiratory. Some people have migraines, other things. Mine showed up in that way. And so when I say I almost lost my life for a year and a half, when the doctor, doctors kept saying, you're fine. And I'm like, I'm not. Go to the ER. They give me something, patch me up, keep sending me home until it got to a point because I was like, you are in sports. So you know about athletes. I mean, not in sports, but you work with athletes. Athletes have this way of pushing through no matter what. They can push through pain. Mm-hmm. The doctor told me later, he said, you are a non-perceiver. Mm-hmm. You can't perceive we don't feel good. So what happened is the minute I get patched up, I go hard again. Go back into your normal routine. Mm-hmm. So as a result, I ended up in the hospital one day, couldn't breathe. In the ER, the doctor said, you're fine. Like, I literally look like I look today. Like, I walked in and it, it was almost like he thought I was trying to get attention because I was married at the time. Mm-hmm. And I said, doctor, with all due respect, because he was going to send me home. He's like, your oxygen's like 99. You're good. I was like, I'm not. With all due respect, I can't leave. Mm-hmm. He checked my uh, blood oxygen and it was 60, like 62%. Mm. I would have died that day if he would have sent me home. It took me seven days for them with full round the clock treatment to get my oxygen levels up. 
And I never got diagnosed with anything exactly like this was what was wrong. So I personally had to step back mm-hmm. and just start saying, let me let me start resting. Let me start doing this. Let me listen. I had to just learn to listen to my body. And then I kind of worked my way out of it. You know, it took a long time. But yeah. And that was the end of your competition? I think I did one more. Mm-hmm. I think I did. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I did a couple more. So I didn't compete until my, my breathing got back right. And I think I did a couple. Where I ended up going pro, but my clients at the time were like, "Oh, we, you haven't done anything for yourself. We want to, you know, send you to a competition." I didn't want to do it, but they they bought me a ticket and wanted me to go. And I ended up going pro, but that was the last one I did. I'm like, I'm done because I personally I train people for that at one point, and I do it in a healthy way. But I know the toll that it takes. It's a whole nother world. We could talk about another day. Not to you know, for anybody who does it, I get it. Um, I was that person. Um, and I was the person who did it very as a natural, like I didn't use any type of drugs or anything, but there's a lot of other things that happen in, in that world. I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> so, yeah. So how did you get into coaching and your, you had a wellness tech startup at one time or do you still have it? So how did I get into coaching as far as like with my fitness studio? Right now, I currently have a company. Um, so which one are you asking about? How did you initially start coaching? And then how did you get into, I know you, you, you were into sales and then you, you founded a studio. So I guess you were coaching then, and then you had a, a startup. So how did that progression take place? So basically I started off in pharmaceutical sales. When I told you about the weight that I lost, I ended up having women because the same women who I would work out with were going to the gym and they weren't losing. So I realized there's something to this. I could probably help some people. But then as I start seeing more just doctors having like sick patients, I was like, I want to help women. And I literally just started training after work. It wasn't because of the money. I was still in pharmaceutical sales. It was simply just because I wanted to help people. Evolved into a clientele. And then I ended up losing my pharmaceutical job at some point. And at the time I was in a relationship and he said, you know what? You should just really focus on training. That's what you like. Because at the point, I was already getting to the point like, okay, I want to do something else. I knew I was kind of, I'm an entrepreneur by heart. Mm-hmm. So I started building the client. And, and again, the funny thing is this was just a natural progression, built a clientele. And every time I would go somewhere and pay people to be in their studio, I would outgrow their studio. And then one day it just turned into, hey, I have enough money to get my own studio. And that was really, that was how it happened. And then I had my own studio for five years. I had been training for years before that. and. I got a divorce and I want to, you know, this is important because coming from a person who and probably like some of your listeners who are small business owners, it only takes one major thing to happen in your life that can change the trajectory. In my studio in three months, I was profitable. By the second year, I had hit six figures of revenue. I was expanding. I realized when I was expanding that my studio was not built off of a concept. It was built off of me. I didn't know people were really saying, I want to come to you. So then I was going to, I was trying to scale. So I'm bringing on trainers saying, this is how I coach, how I do things. And now I went through a divorce. And so the divorce put me, it put a financial hardship in place. Mm -hmm. That means my expenses went up. Now I'm losing half of my revenue because clients start saying, wait, you're not here. We couldn't get through that little shift, that little, you know, the part when you're scaling, you have to transition. So I had to make a tough decision to close. So that kind of ends the studio part. I'll kind of pause right there. I know you talked about the wellness tech, but I don't want to just keep talking. You may have something you want to say. <laughs> well, no, just after you closed your studio, like how did you progress from that into your company or your startup? Like what was the transition? After I closed my studio, the first thing is we're going to skip a whole couple of years because I wrote that in a book I have called The Shift from Shame to Empowerment of some major things that happened in between. But after like a few years, I had moved to California and I needed to find a job. So I decided it was only going to be in something that I knew. So a wellness tech company called me, reached out about me coming in to do an interview. And it was a real unique skill set. They needed somebody who understood healthcare, which isn't common, who was a trainer. Most people train. They may not have both the professional, you know, haven't don't know the healthcare side. So it was a real unique part. Like we want to go into the wellness field. It was an idea. Nothing else. So I was brought on to do the research, pitch to the board, the company got funded, and then I had to develop all the first 200 providers that would go into their app. Once I did that, created that system, then I was promoted to VP of sales, developing what's the sales message for brokers, for, for human resource directors. So that was kind of you know what I did for a company. And I realized, okay, I'm smart enough. I've been doing this. This is my, you know, like people will 
as they should, it's a company, they'll use your, your brain, especially when you have one, to move forward. And that's what was happening. And I thought, that's fine. You know, but at the same time, I never, entrepreneurship has never left me. And there were things that I'm like, okay, if I could do this, this is what I would do. So that turned into, at the end of last year, me founding my own company. And so Soul Beautifully Fit is just an extension of the 20 years of healthcare and wellness experience I have. All of these things, like everything you see now where healthcare and wellness is, I feel like they've kind of merged together. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I just woke up one day. It was a matter of this is where life took me. It took me to the point that everything is online. Everything is about technology. You know, people want to get connected. The data was showing even a few years ago that the millennial population at the time, not as focused on, you know, it's, it's different segments, but the millennial population at the time was saying, you know what? I'm going to go to technology. I'm not that Most of them don't have relationships with doctors. That's not their first go-to. Their first go-to is to look online, get my information, Google, and I'll go to an urgent care center. They don't say, let's go to a primary care doctor, right? Mm-hmm. That I feel like that number, I don't want to misquote that number. I don't remember that exact number. But then if you look at the population who was falling between the ages of 40 to 55, that population of people, half of them were saying, I want to start learning about new wellness things now too. I don't want to just wait and, and deal with just being sick. So you start seeing this major shift. And because of that shift, it only makes sense now that all the experience I have go into how do I empower women? That's kind of my specialty through content that I know women need because I coached over 2000 people. So I know what they need. Then I worked in the employer space. Those needs never change. It was just a matter of saying, how do I help you? Because now your employers are willing to say you might need a break or these are things you can do to improve your wellness. So now you have these resources. So I'm simply taking all the experience. And now putting that into the Soul Beautifully Fit platform. So that was the evolution, all my experience, all these years. So you say women are your primary clients or are they your only clients? Do you work with men as well? Soul Beautifully Fit is a digital wellness platform. So what that looks like is essentially think of digital media, online articles, online videos, content. So it's geared towards women. If a man wants to read it, there are articles they will absolutely like. (laughs) The beta app will launch within the next four weeks. That first beta group is all women. So the app will definitely be focused. That's where we're focused on women. Yeah. So you have workouts and you also have content to empower women as far as some people think of fitness as just losing weight and looking a certain way, but you're into a wellness, which is mind, body, spirit. Because I think a lot of people have issues with their weight and health not because of what they eat solely, but it's because of the other garbage, I would say, some garbage that people, whether it be toxic relationships, whether it be stress, all those other things play into your health and your fitness. So you empower them in all aspects of that, correct? Absolutely. A lot of the articles are empowering around every way. Like if I were to give you three examples, one talks about social media, one of the most recent um, content pieces that came out. Another talks about how relationships affect you. It doesn't mean it's negative. It just means why do we start gaining weight? It doesn't mean because you weren't happy. It just means, hey, your schedule changed and you got a little. So these are real things that people sometimes just want answers to. Like, okay, I know I'm not the only one. I'm not crazy. But then to your point, as much as I stepped away from, quote, the fitness, like just doing workout. But that won't leave me. So now I'm at a place where, you know, that fitness content, it just seems to be something that people keep asking about. So that is absolutely something that we're working on, like developing like a lot more fitness content as well. But the initial focus has been emotional wellness and just overall wellness that addresses relationships, personal development and all of those things, like you say, that affect us and our health and why we gain weight or why, you know, why we have issues like achieving those weight loss goals. So do you have also content on nutrition specifically about like whole foods or if a person is plant-based or vegetarian or tips on how to eat? Because a lot of people think in order to lose weight, you need to starve yourself. And that's not the case because you need to fuel your body, particularly if you're working out. So it's basically fuel it properly to run, but not fuel it where you too much where you gain weight. It's like a fine balance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we are evolving to that point Um, where I would tell you um, right now, as far as the type of content, it is more around, for example, you know, I featured one of the vegans. I love to use experts who can be featured on the platform. So a lot of this doesn't go into the health side. I think there's a lot of health content out there. 
there's a fine line between wellness and health and what resonates. I'm about resonating with what people need every day. I think the people who do the health information, they do it very well. If you want to get into the medical, I'm going to have Dr. Weta Brown on. And I'm going to now we're going to gear that content towards that. But I think there's some health uh, resources out there to do a great job. So this is more in the middle of wellness meets health, but it's practical information um, that people can relate to. You're going to get vegan recipes. You'll get overall how to eat. But when you get to a point that you have health issues that are dedicated to let me go to a health resource and go to a doctor, that falls outside of Soul Beautifully Fit. We're not trying to be the experts at everything. We're the experts at what resonates with most of the population. And that's just real information. What is the most challenging aspects of being an entrepreneur in this industry? Oh, what is the most challenging aspect? I think if you're built for it, you don't find the challenge most people would see. Mm -hmm. So if I had to really think about probably what are the biggest points, like even right now, there's a lot that has to get done with less resources. Okay. As an entrepreneur, if you're self-funding, you know, from a financial perspective or just being very resourceful, those aren't the child, but I would just say more or less being productive and, and grow with maybe limited resources compared to having a company. Now that is, that's not what I find to be the most challenging. I actually find this to be more rewarding than working for a company, but I'm built like that. I just don't, what is the most challenging thing about being an entrepreneur? And I think that happens at different stages. So let me kind of walk back. When I was at the stage of my fitness studio. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it was just an evolution. I never had the thought process. Like I have to do A, B, C, and D and oh my gosh, it really just happened because it worked out. I, I think I had skill sets I didn't realize I had and it turned into a real business. And I remember my accountant telling me one time, like you grew hundred some percent. She was like, oh my gosh. And then after that, it was a steady 30% every year. And she was like, you're doing, I was like, oh, that's good. Like I thought I need to do more. You know how we were talking earlier before, you know, we got on the podcast about, you know, sometimes we don't know how good we're doing. So with that being said, I didn't know how good, like that's a natural part. So I would say the hardest part at that point was when I had to make a tough decision when it was time to scale. And when you hit those bumps in the road that you really don't have the knowledge or the resource, or maybe even the access to certain mentors. Maybe you just hadn't learned certain things. And that that one thing can be the difference between your business closing down mm -hmm. and your business thriving. So now I'm going to drill it down a little bit. And I'm going to just have to be very upfront. I would just say that you probably know this, like Black women are less funded when you talk about startups than any other company. Had I had the resources out here now, had I known some of the things, Mm -hmm. If somebody would say, you're already making six figures in this short a time and you already have this, I would have gotten money. There are people who walk in with ideas and get funding, right? Mm -hmm. That was a while ago, but those are the things, just knowing the resources, knowing what you have access to. And I think that's the biggest thing. That was the one thing, um, not being able to scale or not having the access or just not knowing. And it's not an excuse. I think that that's the learning opportunity. Mm -hmm. The beautiful thing is when I came to Newport Beach, California, and I went to the startup, do you know what I was thinking? What? I'm looking at a startup company in a nice office who did not even have a product, who had already hired 12 people, no product, an idea and said, hey, can you do the research for us, Lisa? My question starts saying, well, how did they get the money to do this? And all they had was an idea. <laughs> so my mind began to shift to your point of like, what was the hardest part to let me see how they're able to do this. And let me try to now figure this out. But that's the thing. It's figuring out how do I get, especially when you're smart enough, you're capable enough, you have the personality. Like when all those things are in place, we have to kind of know what we're good at. I knew I was capable. Somebody hired me to do it. Mm -hmm. And I was already an entrepreneur. They were hiring me for what I had. So that was one of the toughest parts. I would say now the toughest part is sometimes with where I am, like it's time to bring on other people moving fast and efficient enough mm -hmm. in the right direction with limited resources and being able to quickly pivot decision-wise, not like business-wise. It's just been able to say, okay, this isn't quite working. I got to make a quick decision. It's okay to move on. Um, and it's not that it's tough to do that. It's just that it's that muscle that you have to, to practice. And so now I've fortunately working at the startup, I was able to practice a little bit. I was like, okay, I'm going to use this as, as a time to practice. Yeah. Let me see how I... I when I had my own business, I couldn't scale. So then I went in there with this in my head when I created that position. How can this be scalable when I finish? Because it wasn't going to keep my interest after I figured out how to do it. That's just how I think. Like this is a position for somebody. Once I figure it out, let me be the visionary. 
So then from there, I was able to like go into another position. So scaling work. Then I had a, oh, I know. One thing that as I start bringing on um, in my studio, other uh, trainers who I actually had very educated, they were women who were just like me, very smart, mm-hmm. you know, corporate jobs. But I like when I just kind of could say something, but you got to be able to train and teach people. So that was one thing I felt I could work on. So when I started with the startup company, I start using that as an opportunity when I hired an employee to say, okay, if I hired the right person, even if these are things I like people to catch on to quicker, what can I pull out about them that becomes coachable and trainable? So I learned that to use as a way of patience. So I think the biggest thing is like identifying too beyond the, you know, knowing kind of limitations and how to find resources and how to, you know, if, if something comes up. But the other part of that is how to now look at what you're not good at and say, how do I, particularly when it's going to affect business and just to be the right person, how do I become better at this? Because it's only going to help business. So those are some things that I think become the challenges of to grow. If I had to say it to grow, those become the challenges. Season three, we will continue the new segment called Ask the Dog. If you have any questions related to musculoskeletal injuries or musculoskeletal health, go to my website, www.weouilife.com, click on the tab voicemail, leave your voicemail, and select messages will be aired and answered on the segment. Now, back to the show. So, can you tell my listeners the importance of strength training? I'm guilty myself. I'm a runner and do triathlons. So, it's so, you know, everybody's busy. And there's so many workouts I have to do in a week. And I used to neglect strength training, say, versus a run or a swim or a bike. But I've learned, particularly since I had surgery in December of 20, that it's important. And if I neglect it, it's going to come back to haunt me. So do you mind telling my listeners a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, I definitely want to hear what you have learned. But what I will say is that just from an overall perspective, I think we don't think about it. People don't think about it in their 20s, usually not so much in their 30s. They're not already on that path. But from a a bone density perspective, and I'm sure you know a lot more about this as a physician and what you see with osteoarthritis and all the issues that people come in with because they've, they're losing bone density um, over the years or even from a muscle perspective and from a strength perspective and what all these things do for our body just to keep us strong. And, you know, you don't want to go into age 50 and you're you're walking hunchback or you're in pain, you're losing bone density, like all of these issues because you simply just didn't start doing strength training uh, because we do know weight training helps with bone density as well as muscles. The other thing, when you talk about it from a perspective of what it does for weight loss, data shows the more muscle you have, the more calories you can burn. Um, Beyond that, the more muscle mass you have, of course, not overdoing it, the lower fat percentage you have, you know, there are just so many benefits to having lower fat. Now we start talking about decreasing the risk of heart disease and all the other health issues that come with being overweight. So those are just some of the things, but I'm curious because you're a doctor. So, you know, one thing I've been is more in the lane now of business owner developing. I haven't been in the lane as training people as much, but as a physician, I'm curious, what would you say that you found? I just, I got, I want to hear it since we have a conversation. <laughs> what I found as far as strength training, well, I, I have a new coach and we have dedicated strength training sessions. Like after a bike, he'll have, we do everything through Zoom now since COVID. So after our bike session, we'll do core or we'll do like a workout with bands. And I found since I've been doing that, my swimming is better. My cycling is better. And I was skiing in December. That's the first time I skied since surgery. And my knee is a lot weaker than my other knee. And skiing is a lot of basically, it's a lot of work on your knees, particularly if it's rough terrain or it's a lot of snow. So my knee, it was a little too much for it in December. So I came back and I was hurting. But doing a lot of strength training, I went skiing two weeks ago. And I could tell the difference. It's still not 100%. But I felt like when I was skiing in December, I felt like I was gardening. I was thinking about it like every time I turned. When I went in January, I felt normal. Like I could just kind of have fun and ski. 
So it's made a, a big difference. And I, I'm either I'm even faster with my swimming, and that could be because of the mm-hmm. coach is really in swimming. But I think it's from the strength training, the core training, because that's definitely. It is definitely, and to your point, as a physician, when you start talking about just the overall health benefits, what people don't know, especially if you start early, like I happen to start, I've been working out now for like seriously working out consistently in over 15 years. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a difference with right now where I am in my life compared to someone who waits. Now, if you, if you start whenever, it's great. But the longevity of what it does for bone density and muscle and, and strength and how you feel and how you look. It makes me feel better. It's freezing in Chicago at the present moment. So, and it's like, you know, the sun's not out. So a lot of people get the season affective disorder. I think working out gives you those endorphins and makes you feel better when it's crappy outside. (laughs) It does. And I always say, we always say, get past the first 20 minutes of any workout. Do you have that breakthrough point where if you get past the first 20 minutes, all of a sudden, if you didn't feel like you're like, okay. I'm starting to feel okay. Do you have that breakthrough moment too where those endorphins kick in? Yeah, it is. Because I think the like the hardest part is starting or like when I run, especially when it's freezing outside, it's getting out the door. After that, I'm good. But the worst part is mm-hmm. starting. But after I commit, I'm good. <laughs> I know. It's definitely starting. Another question, I guess, in relation to starting. What do you think is the best way to get people started? Because I think a lot of people have a fear or apprehension about starting a fitness program, working out, or they'll start and they'll be on 10. Like a lot of people in January, they go to the gym seven days a week and then they burn out. And by February, you're doing nothing. So what is your advice to get people to start and stay consistent? Because I think consistency is the key. It is definitely the key. Well, the first thing is you really have to want to. You have to find something that you want to change and you have to really be open and honest about it. And I say this because after like, literally I coach 2000 women. So I can break it down to the point of saying most people won't admit or be honest if they're not doing something or starting that they're unhappy about something. I want to make sure I say this in the right way. I would have people come to me and say, Hey, I, I want to lose weight, but I'm happy with where I am. But happy to them would be literally, I'm giving you examples. Somebody who was on high blood pressure medication, borderline diabetic, a hundred plus pounds, obese, mm-hmm. knee problems, back problems. Mm-hmm. And they would say that they're happy. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, this is really what I'm supposed to be doing as far as helping women mm-hmm. that I knew the people I could really say, I want you to be honest about this. Mm-hmm. See, cause if we're not going to be upfront about what you are really trying to do, we're not going to get anywhere. So the first thing you just have to say it, whether it's, I just want to look and feel better, but I really want, and I'm not just saying it, or I want to become better health wise. Whatever that is, just like straight up say it and own it mm-hmm. and and don't be afraid to own it. Like it's nothing wrong with you saying, hey, I want to lose 20 pounds. I had to lose 25 pounds. I didn't like how I looked at one point when I gained all that weight. And I had to say that it's not a bad thing. It's just you saying, hey, I, I feel like I could be better. And I felt like I could. So the first thing is being honest. Once you're honest about what you want, it has to be such a driving factor that it motivates you. So when you go to get the help, like how you did with the, the person that you're training with, now you show up because that person can't drag you. You can have somebody that encourages you and inspires you, but you got to do some of the work, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'll kind of put like the roadblock in that comes up. The roadblock initially that comes up is you find those two things. I really want to do it for this reason. I'm motivated enough, but now my brain is telling me, I don't feel like getting up to go today. I'm going to call my trainer and not go. I'm not going to go to the gym on my own little time. That little voice is going to kick you and nothing's going to change overnight. So now when that voice kicks in, I will say this. My whole thing was get people prepared for whatever the the thing that stopped them was, that that stopped them from always being consistent. And typically what I have found is that the one common thing that shows up in your life is the one thing that stops you. So when I would have a person who would always come late to the gym, I'm like, you always late in your life. Like I already know you late all the time. Or or you'll see like if they start a certain pattern of how they speak Mm -hmm. about something that's going on you start to see their limitation, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say, okay, or maybe they're eating a certain way. So every time they go to work and this particular issue happens, they go to grab some food. Mm -hmm. So I first say, identify whatever your trigger is that kind of keeps you in whatever that play, not just working out, but not like not even eating as healthy as you would like. What's that trigger? So the reason why that's important is because once you identify the trigger, you'll see it coming. 
So if you can see the trigger coming, let's take it back to workout. You see the trigger coming that I know when I get home at five o'clock, I'm not going to want to work out. Mm -hmm. Let's do two things. Let's start and I'll find a time. Okay. I have more energy in the morning. I'll do it then. The next option is we already know I'm not going to go in the morning. So I'm going to be prepared to go and I already know I'm going to feel like this. So what can I just keep going? Push yourself, put on some good music, put on something that gets you hyped, call somebody positive who goes to the gym, do whatever you have to do to get there. And if you do that long enough, and I definitely feel like it's more than three weeks, go several months, start seeing results. It may take time, but if you do that long enough, that becomes your new habit. So those are the things I would say to get people active, even when they don't feel like it. Mm -hmm. And this is, I guess, similar, but how do you counsel your clients when they hit a plateau? They've been doing everything they're supposed to, staying consistent, and whether it be losing weight or they're trying to be toned, but they hit this this plateau and it seems like nothing is changing or they feel like nothing is changing. How do you keep them motivated? So a couple of things. When you hit a plateau, we got to have a real conversation about this. Did you hit a plateau because something, are you doing everything consistently that we've talked about? And the funny thing, Wita, is that when I first started training for the first two years, I didn't have people get the results. And I, at the time I was married, and I went home crying one day and my ex-husband was like, why are you crying? I'm like, because these ladies are saying they're not getting results. And he was like, I don't think they're being honest with you. Mm-hmm. He was like, you know what you're doing. I'm over here taking on all their responsibility. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So the first thing is like, how do I motivate? Absolutely. It's a motivational. But then I had to make sure, are we both taking equal responsibility? Me as the coach, you as the client. So then I started having to have real tough conversations. So I started going back saying, okay, let's talk about everything you're doing. Mm-hmm. So let's first make sure we're upfront about this. And if they were doing everything right, okay, now we know that we're really at a plateau. What I would tell you is about eight, nine times out of 10, mm-hmm. most people's stories start breaking, girl. Oh yeah, I was eating this chocolate cake. Yeah, that's right. I didn't feel like working. So what I found is usually it's not typically a plateau unless you're very athletic. Or No, I'm not saying you can't because it also depends on like your age. But typically it's about eight out of 10 people. It wasn't quite a plateau yet. But we're still going to deal with the plateau. So first, let's just talk about the ownership that the client has. And that's, are you doing your part? Mm -hmm. The second part is, how do I now keep you motivated? I'm listening to you. So I really care enough to listen and say, okay, let's talk about what we can do now. So then I would take people like my whole thing was developing, like I've developed food plans for people, typically people who are, they're healthy. You know, we know that if you just with high blood pressure, diabetes, there are certain things you can do that just normal that you can do to make sure people are. So I want to take that food plan and say, let's switch this up a little bit because what you'll find too is that some people's bodies respond differently to food. Mm-hmm. So you might be great eating rice and somebody else might not. Like if I eat a ton of rice, my body doesn't want to process it the same. Mm-hmm. So it may simply just be switching up foods that your body responds to more. So we start to play with that a little bit. And I typically as well like to have people start off not overdoing it. How I told you I did six, seven days of, I, I never go that far. Mm-hmm. But I'll say, let's see what your body can do off the minimum amount of work. The minimum amount of work is what does your body do off of three days a week of working out this much time and eating this much? We now have room to play with. Let's take the activity up one more time. Mm-hmm. Are you getting enough sleep? And those simple things, believe it or not, with a little bit of time, end up getting people out of that plateau because we all hit that. Even when I did competitions. Literally, we were pretty much starving ourselves with the lack of a better word at thousand calories, barely eating. And and even you start to say, does that calculation really work about, you know, eating this many calories, you'll lose a pound? No, it stops working at some point. So we even hit a plateau. Um, but those would be the things I would do. Let's have an honest conversation first. Are you doing everything seriously or are there some things that maybe you've been falling back and backtracking on habits? Second thing is let's look at picking up another day. Let's look at how we train differently. I'm really big on cardio, strength training, but I love putting plyometrics, body weight training in. When I tell you, when you put body weight training in and you get people strong enough to do that with weight training, mm-hmm. it gets tough to hit a plateau. Your body starts to really get results. I have seen women who you never think would look athletic a day in their life, have never been athletic. I'll send you some pictures, as a matter of fact, that you'll be shocked at what their body does. So I love to do a combination of weight uh, cardio and body weight training. And between those things and always switch it up, you'll find that you don't typically hit plateaus as much. Okay. And one last thing I will say, mm-hmm. um, I know a lot of women, you know, that I've coached 
would typically like if it became a hormonal thing at some point, because there are people with real health issues that become, you know, hormonal. I still found that people like PCOS, diabetes, like even off of eating those type of, you know, in a, in a nutritional way where you're limiting like the carbs and doing certain things, they still lost weight. But to your point, we just have to kind of say, what kind of, let's figure this out together, you know, making sure you're still doing everything. So, you know, um, even people who are in menopause, and I have to say, I, I know I squinched a little bit when I said that people can't, who are listening can't hear me. But even, even the menopause, those are real is- issues to address. Um, I haven't worked with as many women in menopause as I did before menopause. But what I will tell you is, you know, the issue was typically their body was going to hold on to food a lot quicker, but could they still get the results? They just had to eat even more strict, when I say that, more consistently than somebody who was 20 or 30. They could still get the results, but they didn't have the the runway to say, okay, if I fall off for a week, eat whatever. They might have the runway for a day. They don't have a runway for a week. So you still can get the results, but it's how long. So yeah, that's how we address those issues. Some people want to lose weight in a week and they took 10 years to gain it. So exactly. And that's, (laughs) wouldn't that be nice? Would be great. (laughs) Look, and not to question God, but I'm like, woo, God went plow and making us have to work out out of all the miracles. Out of all the miracles, we got to eat right to lose weight and we got to stay consistent. That's a message right there. It is. And then some people think they can out work out a bad diet and that don't work either. Not at all. Those very rare people that have such a high metabolism and even those people I've seen struggle with high cholesterol and high, and they're like, girl, I got my heart literally in their 30s. Because to your point, internally, your body still knows you're eating fried foods. You're eating these things. You may stay skinny. Your body burns it off. But uh, you cannot work off a bad diet. We wish we could. Do you know what I would eat if I could work off a bad diet? Girl, stop playing. Girl, I would eat everything. I used to eat cake all the time. Like it was nothing. I had dessert every single night. When I gained all my weight, mm-hmm. I ate dessert every single night. That was my go-to. Sugar. Oh, girl, cupcakes. Cupcakes every night. I like cupcakes. So I just go buy, I'll go buy one when I want to sweet, every, you know, treat every blue moon. Because I can't have mm-hmm. a whole bunch in my house. I know, right? Me either. I'm telling you, girl. That's why I was like, if I could, girl, but I can't. So tell me about your book, The Shift from Shame to Empowerment. My book, The Shift from Shame to Empowerment. Where do I start? I'll start here. So I never planned to like just go and write a book. But there was an instrumental part, a time in my life. I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier where there was a two, three year period I said I was going to skip. And essentially, this book came about because of a traumatic, well, I think of an experience that I had. And I say traumatic because at one point it felt very traumatic um, that happened here in my life. And so essentially between moving from L.A. to California, I hit another hardship. I hit another hard place. And I say that because I kind of want to tell you the story while I'm also trying to tell you about the book. So Let me be a little more specific. First of all, what the book is about is about discovering how the challenges along your life's path are designed to empower you. Let me start there. Okay. It's about discovering how your life challenges are designed to empower you Mm -hmm. and how we can use those moments to really like look at it instead of from a place of being ashamed, but from a lens of empowerment. When you have a challenge, a roadblock, something that happens that knocks you down, whether it's a relationship and you feel like everybody's watching you, it was a failure, or you've been at a place where you were a six-figure person and all of a sudden you're this educated woman and then you hit a rock bottom and you have no money. Whatever you define that as, how do we now shift how we look at that? And then taking that and saying, how do I now use this to reframe that experience and then start to really get wins in my life? Mm-hmm. So that is what the book is about. Now, how it came about is when I closed my studio, Wita, mm-hmm. and I moved to LA, I didn't have a plan. Mm-hmm. Nothing else was working out in Atlanta and everything had worked out for me. I had been on television, radio. My studio was a success. You know, I had created a, a whole event. You know, drew, I had 300 people at the last event. I, I was creating all these extensions. And one day, everything changed. My son was gone. He had gone off to college. I got a divorce. Mm-hmm. I had to close my studio. I had lost everything that my world centered around Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to do. I literally, and I was afraid. I didn't know what to do. And it seemed like nothing I was trying to do anymore was working. And it was really just like, I felt like I need to leave. 
And so one day my son, after like a year and a half, I'm just still trying to figure out what I'm gonna do with my life. My son is like, you've been saying you're gonna go to California, pick a day and do it. And he, that was my kind of my push. Mm-hmm. That was my push. Now, I didn't know what I was gonna do. But what I did was move to LA and I moved there with literally just my car. I sold everything in my house, a couple bags and didn't have a plan outside of somebody saying you could stay with me for four weeks. Who happened to have gone to FAMU, by the way? All right. And we weren't, we didn't even know each other well, but yes. <laughs> it's so funny because Denise introduced me to somebody who said, she's like, Oh, you want to California? You should, you know? So anyway, that was my four weeks. And I had to figure out the rest of life from there. And what you'll find is in the book in a shift from shame to empowerment is during that time in those two years, I went from looking like some amazing things were happening to somebody like hiring me um, as far as like a personal coach to developing like a radio show for this, her, you know, just doing all this great stuff. So one day waking up and somebody, the, the same person where it looked like things were great saying, you got to go. But I had not prepared. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, that can be very shameful mm-hmm. to wake up one day and now you go from okay, because I still said it was okay, it wasn't my best, to homeless, literally overnight because I didn't have money saved up. Still, I had just gone from closing my still, I'm still trying to figure life out. Mm-hmm. I could walk in that. Or I could change that. And I'm not afraid to share the voice. So why did I write it? It was just time. And it was time to write. I just felt like it was. But my thing is I found that when women don't move forward in wellness, when you were asking about that, mm-hmm. typically it's because they are too ashamed to admit the truth. And I think it's a lot of power in just stating where you are in your life. Now, that doesn't mean state it to everybody. Yes. You can sit in your own house by yourself and tell the truth to yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I had to look at that and say, how do I look at this from a list of empowerment? And so when I looked at my, everything I was going through and it wasn't changing overnight, but when I looked at it in a different way and I start believing from the time I got a divorce and closed my studio, because all this just followed me, everything just followed me. I had to do something differently. When I started looking at that, it became a place of, I don't have to have other people just to help me because so much of the help I had was already in me, but I had just kind of dwindled down because that loss of my company at the time, Mm -hmm. it was such a blow. Mm -hmm. And I was so stuck in it. It was a blow. And I just was like, I got to figure this out. And then I went from that to something else. And I'm like, okay, you got to dig yourself out of here. And for me, it was having, you know, I talk about fear of like losing weight, Mm -hmm. not fear of losing weight, but having, not fear of losing weight, but having something that you have to hold on to, Mm -hmm. to make you want to lose weight. Mm -hmm. For me, it was, I was so afraid of being homeless and being in that position that that made me stand up and fight my ass off if I could say that. Mm-hmm. So from shame to empowerment, the shift is having that moment of shift in your life. Um, and I have to say this. So that happened to me. I love to be the example because I've coached so many women. And so what I found is when I've coached women and they always thought Lisa's so perfect, her life is so great. And it was never that it was great. It was just, I was honest about where I was. Mm-hmm. But what I find is because I've led in this area of empowering women, I'm going to also lead with sharing my stories. Then I'm not ashamed. Oh, we're going to get better. Mm-hmm. The one thing I'll say, and I'll relate this to why, you know, this is important and what I want people to discover in this book is one of the biggest shifts that's happening right now is when people talk about like the great resignation. So let's, I'm going to take it away from the book for a second, because that was my shift for that period of my life. That was very much a big part of my life to right now. People are waking up saying, I'm not happy at this job. They may not know what they want to do. And you don't always have to know, yeah. but where it starts is knowing I'm not happy and something doesn't feel right. And I feel like it's taking a toll on me. And so that's the same shift I talk about. It doesn't have to just be a relationship where everybody has their own shift. But when you identify that shift, if something doesn't feel right, you don't always have to have it completely figured out of how you're going to get to the next step. Mm-hmm. But if you are just awake enough to say, now, how do I look at this lens? Like people with the great resignation are looking at the lens of empowerment from saying, let me reframe how I look at this. I used to think I had to go to this job and work this many hours and that's it. But now my happiness is more important. They are setting themselves up for the biggest wins of their life. And that's what the shift from shame to empowerment is about. Setting yourself up for wins through the lenses of challenges being empowering. I love it. I love it. And actually, it's in a line to the next question I was going to ask you. Part of my podcast is to have guests who have overcome obstacles to make it to their finish line. And you basically answered that because in life we go through things and sometimes God puts us in situations and it helps you grow and it helps you kind of learn yourself and figure out what you need and what you want. And sometimes those down or those low times teach you what you need in order to succeed or to make it when God elevates you. So I try to take everything in life 
good and the bad and try to learn from it. So, well, you know, and I'll tell you, I don't, you know, fortunately we don't have a finish line as long as we're, we're moving. So I'm so happy about that. That's all tied into running. Ah, yeah. Oh, I like it. Oh, so that's my first finish line. That was my finish line for the first shift. Okay. Now I'm on my next finish line. Yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah. I love that. I love it. But to your point, and I have, you know what's so funny, Wida? And I think it's important for like us to talk about this as women, is that I have been always like a real positive person looking at things from like learning from it. But the reality is there are some things in life that bro- breaks most of us down. And I would have never thought I would hit that. And so I think that is the biggest thing when you have that shift from shame to empowerment. Those are those moments that it wasn't like you just had a challenge, but you had something where you like, no, I don't know how I'm going to come out of this. And I think that's the place where even now a lot of people still are and have gotten to. And, you know, that's when it's that time to say, okay, wait a minute, let me like reevaluate. Maybe I used to always be positive and now I'm not. You know, that's the time to say, okay, it's time to like awaken. I'm okay. Like, it's okay that I feel like this. Mm-hmm. It is normal that I feel like this, but now I have to have a shift and know to your point, when you look back, when I finally owned, it is nothing that I haven't come out of as long as I'm still here, like moving and, and doing everything I'm supposed to do. And to your point, Wita, that was the time that I really saw what I believe were are miracles. We talk about God being there. Those are the times that made me really say, so now it's a lot harder for somebody to say, oh, you can't do this. Why can't I not do it? Because I saw things happen that I would have never knew. I could not have been capable of just doing myself. This had to be a miracle, right? This had to be God. So to your point, even getting a little, let's take it a little bit deeper. You know, you're learning from your, like the audience is there. You're learning from your challenges. But what about when you hit those bottoms? And now you got to really reflect on the real miracles that have happened in your life. Like now, shame on me to not have faith, like more faith than I've ever had to come out of what I've come out of and it's time to now practice it and then keep doing all those things everything we've learned all of our lives keep pulling from all those tools yeah and I just had to go like take us just a little bit more so we could be all appreciative of the things that we overcome you know Mm -hmm. and you realize sometimes in those low times that I know a lot of strong women don't like asking for help Mm -hmm. you're not an island and sometimes you need help and whether, and it could be the smallest thing, like when at my lowest point in life was when my mom died, I needed help. I needed professional help. And initially I was like too proud to say I needed help, but like a friend was like, we do, you need some help. <laughs> so it, it's, it's nothing wrong with like in our low times getting help from other people. There's nothing wrong. It's not like you're less of a person or less of a woman or less of a strong woman because you need help. Mm-mm. I think, you know, to your point, like really even identifying, you know, what help looks like and when you need it. And, you know, for me, when I was in the, you know, when I wrote the shift from shame to empowerment, I noticed there were times I thought I needed help, that it was really just me becoming uh, just kind of down on where I was. And I think sometimes we can be there and we lose what we're able, capable of doing. And then what are those real times? It's typically about the 20% of times in life where for things like what you talk about, the loss, you know, of your mom, the loss of it, like those things where it's kind of like, okay, these are like things I have the skill sets. I'm healthy. I can still move out of here. But when you lose to the mo- like, that's a whole nother level. So mm-hmm. to your point, identifying, am I, re- do I need help? Because I'm just over here having a pity party mm-hmm. <laughs> and I really can help myself. And if you can help yourself do it, but, or is I really need help because emotionally, and to your point, maybe even there's some things that have festered from the past. And mm-hmm. even when I went through a divorce, I got a, I believe in psychologists. I got a psychologist. And he told me, he said, Lisa, you don't need help. Cause he was like, you are good. I said, just cause I could tell you what's wrong with me. I was like, no, I'm not good. So, okay. Um, what would a present day Lisa, if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give yourself? Girl, let me tell you what advice I give myself. This is girlfriend talk. This is not all this fitness stuff. I'm like, girl, did you know how great she was at all this stuff? Like all the times I'm over here judging myself, I would have been utilizing my skills and assets way more than I ever did in my life. Mm-hmm. Not knowing, and I think a lot of women fall into this, not knowing your level of intelligence, your level of what you're really capable of doing. Know your worth. Know your worth, but to break it down, because I think even some of the young ladies now, like we don't really know what that means. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like know your worth. What, what does know your worth mean? Like now I know when I walk into, like when I went to work for a startup, 
I had already had a business. So first of all, walking in, I knew you need me because you're, you just have an idea. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go in and ask for what I want. Now, mm-hmm. let's just say I'm not only asked for what I want, but I'm going to also tell you the kind of person I am and how I work. So you have the choice of if I fit into your organization and it's no love lost. But see, we're not trained that way. So although we can use the word know your worth, mm-hmm. we're trained in a way that we're like, oh, you got to go in and be this kind of person. Things are shifting now. But we are told all these things just to get into certain positions. You know, we were trained at, you know, the best HBCU. But there were still things that we were taught just to get to the role. Whereas now we're getting to a stage in life where we're like, wait a minute. All the people that are getting elevated, it's not because it's a favor. It's because these are people who are extremely way more than qualified. So now we have the choice to say, when I walk in and do something, I'm going to use my skill sets, my ability. But I know if this isn't the right position or the right opportunity, it is absolutely okay because I can go somewhere else and do something more. So know your worth. Let's break it down. Know where you stand. Know what you're capable of. Use it and be willing to walk away. No love lost. Nobody's upset. These are just conversations that have to happen. So know what you have and, and get it. And, and even in relationships. Yes. Walk away. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and I, let me tell you, I have been somebody who took a little too long to walk away. So I know walk away. Let me tell you something. My dad told me one day I was married and my ex used to always say, if we don't work out, you should get this kind of man and you should move. You need a rich man. You need to move to California. This is what you need. And so I was telling my dad and my dad literally said to me, do you know, he's telling you that he doesn't deserve you. You're too good for him. I was like, I didn't hear that. Now, keep in mind, I'm saying my dad said this, but my father was not in my life a lot. So although he's telling me these words now, it didn't resonate as him giving me advice because he really wasn't, you know, I could if he would have brought me up in a way to know what he was saying, mm-hmm. but I didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. So now after hitting my head a couple more times, when a man says certain things, I'm like, okay, I can already see when they're saying, okay, maybe they feel like it doesn't mean I am, but maybe based on what they feel they have to offer in the sense of emotional, everything else, we're not aligned. And it's okay. I used to go a little further. Let me take my time. Let's try to get to know. No, let me just move out the situation. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let, so now that we have broken know your worth down, be willing to walk away and keep it moving because you are that valuable and somebody else will give you what you want and what you need. And any position that you're looking to accomplish. Amen to that. <laughs> any last minute words of advice for my listeners? I think with running is cheaper than therapy, making decisions from a lens of empowerment, just like running in your life to win, is cheaper than the therapy it will cost you to keep making the same decisions over and over to put you in a place that you don't win and you're really capable of, of winning. So I think it's the very same thing. So my thing would always be do your best to look at all the challenges in your life from a lens of empowerment. Know when you need help and be willing to get that help. Know when you're just in a self-limitating mode and use all of the assets that you have. Because I know anybody listening to this has the skill sets listening to your podcast. They're not listening to a doctor on, on your podcast, on this podcast, and not being somebody who is very capable in many more ways to set themselves up for wins. So I think that it's very aligned with what the theme of your podcast is about. Let's win. That's it. Anything. Fitness, life, whatever. Not true. So where can people find you on social media if they want to buy your book? So if you want to find me on social media, well, the first place to go is go to soulbeautifullyfit.com, S-O-U-L, beautifully, B-E-A-U-T-I-F-U-L-L-Y, fit, F-I-T.com. You're going to get some great wellness resources that will help you as a woman and you'll be empowered. You can also find all the social media links um, there as well. So that will be the best place to go, soulbeautifullyfit.com. My personal social media is Lisa Tanker, at Lisa Tanker, everything. You just have to want to follow me there. But definitely go to Soul Beautifully Fit because that's what this podcast is about. It's about the women. Well, thanks again. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed. That wraps up this episode of Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you already haven't, please download Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast on Apple, Spotify, or however you listen to your favorite podcast. If you have any questions, 
concerns, or possible show topics, please email runitisyouperhairtherapyolbomahalovebrown. Again, that's runitisyouperhairtherapyolbomahalovebrown at gmail.com. I also can be reached via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Handle We Life, We Love. Oh, you are life. Oh, you are love. Thank you, and please tune in again.